Hey gals and guys, guys and gals. So this is episode two and today we're going to talk about shit my brother says. So my brother is older than me. Um, he's three and a half years older than me and he went into the Marine Corps uh, shortly after high school and that really defined who he was going to become for the rest of his life. Uh, we used to be really close in terms of it was him and I you know, in this thick divorce, you know, him and I against the world. But he was also my older brother. So he was also, you know, very mean and would pick on me and beat me up. And all I ever really wanted was uh, to make him proud. All I ever really wanted was for to be accepted by him and, and loved by him more than anything. You know, I wanted that that close sibling relationship. And we don't have it. Um, not at all. But I'm working towards it. Uh, He has his own demons and battles and things to deal with. And this isn't his story. This is mine. So there are little tidbits of information and knowledge that he has passed on to me. And during these these dark moments of my life, like recently, they've really started to make sense. They've really um, been logical. And he actually did save my life. Um, shortly after my suicide attempt, everybody else was playing a game of kick the can and the can was Tiffany. But he actually, you know, really stepped up and he was there for me and he had my back. And he also was able to pass on some little tidbits of knowledge to me. So I'm a very logical person. I uh, actually program logic, ladder logic, PLCs, um, robots, things of that nature. So for me to look at the world, I kind of have to reframe things logically. Now, that being said, I've been through some very spiritual stuff lately. I let you guys know that I left the church um, pretty early on, ran away from it. If you check out my stand-up comedy, you could see where um, I was not happy with being a Catholic anymore. I was raised a Roman Catholic, went to Catholic schools all my life. Uh, even went to Catholic college. But honestly, what that did for me was just instilled a, a sense of shame within me, right? Because we're born without original sin. We're born bad. I was pretty much told that I was bad from the second that I came into this world. And like I had something to prove, something to make up for um, original sin. You know, Adam and Eve, I had these things to make up for that were not even my own. So I don't really agree with that philosophy, um, and I haven't instilled it in my children. Um, beyond that, I, it left me with a constant need for seeking approval and attention in um, mostly male figures, right, like the priest, the father. Um, it left me seeking love, pretty much, I feel. Um, and it also left me with a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, um, Obviously, it messed with my sex life, not being able to masturbate or being told that that was wrong. We'll actually dive deeper into that because that actually involves um, my ex-stepfather as well in some some lessons that I have seen now looking back that have been instilled in me when it comes to sexual relationships and masturbation and things of that nature. But for this episode, we're talking about shit my brother says. So... The day that my brother saved me when I went over to his house, we talked a little bit about scripture. And he let me know that in scripture, it says that when you cast a demon out, when you get rid of a demon, it goes back down to hell, gets its buddies, goes, gets a group, some support and comes back because you're ripe for the picking. 
you're ready for the taking and you just said no and cast them out. So like I said, I felt like everybody was playing this game of kick the can and the can is Tiffany. So that's exactly what I mean. I felt like I had these demons coming out of the woodwork. This is how I can frame it logically, right? I had exes saying stuff. I had people that were bad for me, negative spaces, saying things, taking me right back down to where I was, taking me right back down to that suicidal place. And I was being tested. Now, if you reframe that logically, I had just been through something traumatic. I was not getting anything accomplished in processing that trauma. My support system was next to none. My emotional stance was very bad, right? So while I'm in this more sensitive state of these feeling of emotions and everything that's going through my mind, of course, everybody that comes at me, everything that comes at me is going to be that much harder. It's going to be that much more difficult. So in my mind, that's how I can logically reframe the when you cast a demon out, seven more come back. So I had cast a demon out when I tried to commit suicide, but lived and, and came through. And then now he went and got his buddies and he came back and he was just trying and trying and trying to get me right. But I was going to win. So if you look at it logically, it's the depression, it's the suicide, it's the CPTSD, it's the anxiety, it's the, you know, not being in control of your emotional state, not being able to breathe through it's all of these things, the panic that actually sets off you going down the path of reaching for those old tools, those bad tools of I'm just going to kill myself or I'm just going to, you know, get high or I'm just going to, you know, sit here and run and, and not process things and hide and throw other things on top of it. So when you're in those moments, those moments of weakness where you feel like you're being attacked, maybe you just cast a demon out. And it went back and it got its buddies. You can take that any way that you need to frame it in your mind for it to make sense. But it has really helped me to be able to step back and look at things logically. So let's talk a little bit about spirituality since we're on it. Um, I don't I would say that I didn't believe in God. Like I wouldn't say that I was completely atheist. Like I would still pray with my children. But internally you know I felt like if science can't show me can't prove to me that he is there then he's not and I'm not gonna say that he is or he isn't all I'm gonna say is that I've had signs shown to me during this time and it's these signs that I don't understand how I never saw them before like I can see little ways that that maybe Jesus and or God or somebody the creator was speaking out to me and I was pushing him away now, if you would have told me that a couple of weeks ago for the last seven years, I would have I probably would have told you to leave me alone, you know, and maybe not so in a polite way, because I thought I had it all figured out. Right. I thought that I was doing the right things. But look at where I am. So let's look at some of these signs that I've seen. I ordered the book, The Art of War, off of Amazon Prime, and it arrived, you know, shortly before all of this happened. And I just wonder what it was that I thought that I was going to be battling that I needed that for. I wrote a note on the window a couple months ago to my children that said, you can do it all by yourself. Love me because I was irritated that they weren't doing their chores and they weren't helping. And the other day I cleaned the whole house and it was the message had been so faded. I couldn't see it. 
and I had written something else over it already. It was you walk with 3,000 ancestors behind you. But the old affirmation or the old message that I had written to my children, the you can do it all by yourself, love me, I could finally see it shining through, and it was just me standing there reading it. And I thought, no, I wrote that message to me. I wrote that message to me. You can do this, right? And then I took my wedding ring off in the middle of the night, two weeks before all this went down. I took it off in the, in my sleep, maybe not even two weeks, like a week. And I have tore apart the entire house and I cannot, I cannot find this wedding ring. I can't. So there was a guy that I was trying to talk to after all this and remember the old MO, right? Running to men. There was a guy I was trying to talk to. It was the middle of the night. I'm down in the kitchen. It was storming. I couldn't sleep. And we were just talking on the phone. And he asked me something and I didn't even hear it because there was lightning. There was thunder. The lights went out in the house and then the phone went dead. Okay. I'm talking on my cell phone. So even if the electricity went out, there's no reason why my phone should have went out. I live out in the country. I've never lost my signal out here. I have a good provider, okay? So I look at my phone. It's not working, and it went to this 911 Wi-Fi calls only, and then all of a sudden it came back on, and then I got all these text messages from the guy that I was talking to, and he's like, I'm sorry if I crossed a line with that question I asked. And I didn't even know that he had asked me something because my phone had gone completely dead. And I was like, well, maybe maybe you shouldn't ask me it, you know. But eventually he finally told me what it was and it was, what are you wearing? And what are you wearing is a saying that my ex-husband would text me almost on the daily. And it would just drive me nuts because I wanted some I wanted some kind of communication. Right. Like I wanted real talk. And it seemed like it was so shallow. Like, what are you wearing? I'm trying to connect. I'm trying to, you know, talk to you. So the fact that somehow, some way my phone got shut off. For me to not be able to hear this guy say to me, what are you wearing? There's just, there's signs all around me and you can take them however you want to. But I feel like I'm finally waking up and I'm finally starting to see some stuff. And it's crazy the scope of things that you can see when you're open to it. So maybe the problem is how closed off you're being with your own perspective Maybe you should just be open to the possibility of trying to look at things from an outsider perspective, you know, writing things out, telling your story, journaling, speaking it out loud. The more that you say it and hear it, you start to hear the inconsistencies. You start to see the patterns. If you can sit and write out just like a synopsis of your life, just like a little bullet points, like, okay, from this year, this, this year, this, you know, and you highlight these big emotional things that happened to you or these big changes that you made in your life, take a step back and look and see what started that. What was the instigator? What was the feeling that you had in that moment that started all of that? And pay attention to your patterns in your life. Pay attention to who you are and learn yourself. Because if you don't learn why you're doing the things you do, the behaviors that you have, or why you react the way that you do, you're just going to continue that vicious cycle. It's that same saying of if you're religious, God will put something in front of you until you pass it. You know, like it's the same saying of I've been there, done that, seen this before. But it's up to you to actually wake up and decide that you're going to move on from it. 
So since we're on this spiritual kick, this spiritual journey, and I'm going on about, you know, demons and God and the devil and things of that nature, um, I would love to share a very traumatic story with you of something that happened to me when I was 16 years old. So when I was 16, uh, my mother and I went up to the hospital in um, downtown and my great grandfather was passing. That's why we went up there. I drove up there, and when we got there, she went with my grandmother and my grandma's sister, so my great-aunt, outside of the room, and they were talking about what was happening with my great-grandfather, whom I was not really close with, I'd met him a few times, inside the room. Well, they were all gone, and I'm in there alone with him, and I decided, I, you know, I was in the church a lot, so I decided I was going to hold his hand, and I was going to sing to him. And I sang to him um, that song about, I don't know if you know it, about the dew on the roses. Uh, I arrive in the garden in the morning and Jesus is there and the dew is on the roses. We tarry there, that song. And as I was singing it to him, like he's he sat up really quickly and he grabbed my hand and he squeezed and he opened his eyes and they were like, they were always a really light blue but they had this white film over them like this. They were just, you could still see the blue, but I swear there was like a white layer covering the blue. And then he, and then he let out, like, I guess I've had someone tell me it's called a death rattle now. So let's, we'll call it that. Um, I wouldn't refer to it as a rattle. It was definitely uh, like a breath, like an escape of a breath that went on for like a wheeze that went on for so long. It went on and on. It felt like an eternity, like there's no way you can blow air out for that long. And the moan that accompanied it, everything felt really, really dark. And I'm in this hospital room and he's holding my hand, squeezing and, and the doors are shut. There's no windows, you know, and I start screaming and my mom and, and my grandma and my great aunt come back in and I get out of the room. So once everything happens and he's passed, they come out to talk to me and they ask me what I was doing when he passed. And I told them about the song I was singing. And then then they get it in their heads that I had like given him permission to be able to move on. And they want me to sing that song at his funeral. And there's just no way that I can because this is like I'm freaked out. Things feel awful right so I find out down the line from my mother that my great-grandfather and my grandfather did a lot of things of a sexual nature to all the girls in the family they got together and they did it together and I just It's hard for me to accept that that type of evil lives out in this world. Um, but it also helps me to accept those filters that we talked about, those goggles that we talked about, where you can only see life with what you have in front of you, with what you've been through, the filters and the hues of glass that you have seen. And if you can accept that and honor that as being truth, then you can understand that it's true for everybody. So my mother, who was subjected to this throughout her life, like, I have a lot of qualms with my mother, and I'm sure that we're going to air them out because she's definitely one of the toxic people in my life that can take me right back to the bad, you know, 
take me on that trip to hell. Okay. And I am trying to work through that because my mother has a seat at my table. Okay. She doesn't pay my bills or things of that nature, but she has a seat at my table. She takes care of my children. She is one of the most loving people I've ever met. And you know how they say that you have to have both extremes, right? You can be mean and love at the same time. So my mother, I don't think was ever really shown how to love. And I feel like for her, she did the best she could with what she had. The same as everyone else. She was a young mother and the things that she said to me, I'm sure she didn't understand what they would do to me, right? And I don't need the mother from 1993, 1995. Like, I don't need to go through all of that. I just have to accept and move on from it and realize that I want her at my table more, right? And that's what I told her this last argument we got into. Like, look, I don't care about what you did in 1995 because I love who you are in 2023. It's not worth dragging everything through the mud to make you feel terrible for you and I to have it out and fight and then risk the relationship that we have now. I can be that bigger, better person because I need you and love you and who you are. I met a woman when I was institutionalized who was in her 60s. When she told her story, she said that she had lost four of her five children. And I started bawling and asked her, can you talk more on that? Like, I, how do you get through that type of loss? And then when she started speaking more on her story, I began to realize that they weren't dead like I thought. I thought her babies were dead. They had just wrote her off. And I didn't even know that that was a thing people really do. Like I was raised Catholic. Okay. Honor thy mother and father. I'm also very empathetic. So I don't like to bring people down. I don't like to hurt people. So I will always try to, like I said, be Gumby, Ben, be that bigger person. But taking all of it in within myself is also a reason why I ended up where I'm at. Right. I'm just going to take this big old ball hurt. I'm going to swallow it down. And one day when it blows up in a freaking supernova and I wake up, maybe not alive, maybe not waking up at all. This is why like and she's one of the reasons and some of the things that she says to me and the negative speak that I have had in my life. But it is we just speak on the evil that was in my grandfather and my great-grandfather. Let's talk about the glory in that same side of the family, okay? John Adams is my great-great-great-grandfather, the first vice president of the United States, the second president of the United States. His son, John Quincy Adams, was a president too. Here's where things get crazy, though. I just found that out a couple years ago. I knew I was related to him, but I thought he was like a distant second cousin. How does greatness like that get lost in your legacy of your family? Like, how does it get stomped out like that? Because of the evil that's there too, right? Like, because of what my great-grandfather and my grandfather would do. It's just crazy to me, the balance, the good and the evil. So let's get back to shit my brother will say, right? So we talked about the demons. My brother decided also that he is going to live his life on what's called the um, the path of like deja vu or the path of like coincidences. So whenever you get a feeling, you have a connection, you follow those connections. And that's how he's been living his life. And honestly, I love it. 
if you think about your gut, if you think about following your intuition, because like I said, everything that my brother tells me, I have to try and reframe it in my logical mind. So one way that I can reframe this is following these paths, following these connections, and he gets extreme on it. Like, let's say that he was looking for some grass seed, okay? And he had just said to somebody, I need to go buy some grass seed, okay? Now he's at the store, and he's walking, and he overhears somebody say the word grass seed. He's going to go follow that person. Like, he believes following the connections, following the path. Now, when I got up to being institutionalized, I met a lot of people, and some of them I have connections with, and I am continuing to stay in touch with those people because I have ways of connecting to them, and I feel like they're supposed to be in my life for a reason, and it feels good. Like, if you just take away following the connections and relate it as saying you do what you love, what you think about, what's on your mind, you stay true to who you are, then I can kind of reframe what my brother's saying in the terms that he lives his life in a way where you just stay true to you. It's very important for you to stay true to you. So let's talk a little bit about that. I got hearing aids when I was around 11 years old. Um, my My hearing loss started when I was nine. And I had had a perfectly happy childhood up until this point. I remember, you know, going on vacations. I remember some good times. I also had some issues with getting bladder infections. My urethra tube was too small. And because of that, up until puberty, I would get frequent infections. Because of that, I was on antibiotics. One of the side effects of the dosage of the antibiotic that I was on was obviously hearing loss, as with any antibiotic, at too high of a dose. So they're guessing that that's what it was. I wasn't born, obviously, with this hearing loss, but I'm legally deaf. Um, I meet the, the category. I can't hear pretty much anything without them in, um, unless if you get really loud. And let's talk about how that's affected my life. So going to these Catholic schools, I was with the same 25 kids, you know, growing all the way up. And anytime something happened in my life, you know, the divorce, the hearing aids, anything, they knew about it. The teachers were all the same, and they were also pretty mean, too. The teachers would make fun of me. When somebody wouldn't hear something, they'd be like, you got to turn your hearing aids up. Oh, Tiffany, ha, 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 ha. Like, it was hilarious. Even they would make fun of me. So at a very young age, I was being bullied. I decided that uh, my hearing aids were awful. I got really prideful. Um, I tried to hide them. Uh, I got really shameful about who I was. Um, I decided that I wasn't going to be a victim Right. That pride seeped in where I was like, I'm not going to take scholarships. I'm not going to ask for help. We're not going to like sue like nothing. Nothing's going to happen just to, you know, single me out, draw attention to me or try to write the injustice done to me. I'm just going to be a martyr. It's another thing that my Catholic religion instilled in me. Right. Being that martyr. So I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be a martyr. I'm going to honor my father and mother. You know, I'm not going to speak up for myself. I am shameful, born in sin. You know, everything that I do, the the thoughts that I think are impure and wrong. I'm a bad person. So all of this started at a very, very young age. But now when I step back and I look at it, I can see. Now this year, being, you know, 38, 
I decided I was going to shave the side of my head. And it's not because I think it's cool and badass, but it is. It's fucking cool and badass. I'm a badass chick. But, <laughs> no, it's so I can't hide my hearing aids anymore. And when I started my last job, I, I tried to reframe it in my mind and come in with telling them instantly instead of hiding them like I always did. I just try to own up to who I am. So that goes back to following, you know, the connections, being true to yourself. Because when I had the old mentality of I will not be a victim and I'm too prideful to ask for help, I really feel a lot of that played into why I ran from my last marriage, from the very traumatic one that involved loaded guns and that I needed to to run from. But I also needed to process how I had been abused. I'm still needing to process how I I don't know if you hear the quiver in my voice. Process the fact that I I am a victim that has been abused. Like to me, everything in it sounds weak and disgusting and makes me want to throw up, you know, like that that's who I could be. No, I am strong. So here I am, you know, needing to reframe it. How strong is it for me to speak on it? How strong is it for me to honor it and be courageous enough to accept it and to say, no, this is a part of me. This is why I do the things I do. You know, the fact that I had a loaded gun to me, the fact that I thought that, you know, the house could burn down with the kids in it, or the fact that all of these situations that I was constantly putting myself in with him happened. And that's okay. Because it's what you do with it now that matters. It's not what you did with it then. It's not what I've been doing with it for the last seven years. This is about me taking my life back. This is about me taking my power back. This is about helping you guys to take your life and your power back. And one of the most important things that you can do is realize that it's okay that it happened. Feel it. And see what you're going to do now, because that's the only place you have power. You don't have power back there. You can't go back and change anything. You have to accept what happened, accept who you were, feel it, and decide what you can do now from this day forward, because that's where our power lies.